This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on today's episode of Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer. We're talking brain power, brain fog, the memory and a test for you as well with Dr. Mohammed Nami of Brain Hub Polyclinic. Are you ready for your exam? Also getting the scoop on what's happening this weekend, Sail GP on the water and off the water too with a former Olympian. Taking you to the dentist and why staying on top of your oral health care is so, so important for your wallet as well as your teeth. And in Pets and Vets, it was Dr. Katrin Yarn who was on hand with a health and behaviour special. How do our pets stop that cognitive decline? And of course, your questions answered too. Great to have you with us here on Dubai I-103.8. I'm Helen Farmer in conversation now with Dr. Mohammed Nami. He's got a PhD from Brain Hub Polyclinic UAE. He's an assistant professor, cognitive neuropsychology and neuroscience expert. We can talk sleep health. I mean, I really don't know where to start with you, doctor. How are you? Let's start with that. I'm really good. Thank you very much for having me again, Ms. Helen. I am so interested in the topic of brain health, memory, how memories form, the brain fog that I know an awful lot of people are struggling with. And I don't know if this is because the people that I'm friends with are all getting to a certain age, could be a factor. We're going to be unpacking a bit of that over the course of the next hour and touching on dementia as well. So if anyone's got any questions, please, please, please don't be shy. Pick up that phone. Let's start with how our memory works first, Mohammed, if you don't mind. You know, what is memory and what happens in our brain? What is memory? I would say, I'll put it this way. We are memory. And how could it be right otherwise? We are the collection of thoughts and emotions and everything that we form and we use them, recall them over time throughout the lifespan. And uh, the brain is the key structure which uh, puts together memory constructs. Register information first and store information and then we recall the information. And this is being done through the brain's ability to shape and retain connections. The neurons or the brain cells will connect together. So when they connect together, they have a specific firing or activity pattern, and this shapes memories, right? So we have a process of forming and retaining and recalling memories. And it's critical because we are absolutely uh, depending on a memory. If you imagine one minute without uh, a clarity in our memories, we cannot relate this to whatever we have had in a background knowledge. It, it, it is really dark, right? Yeah, well, it keep, well, I mean, obviously, as you said, it's about connections and relationships, but it's also about keeping us safe, you know. <laughs> yeah. I remember that that was hot last time, you know, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about short-term and long-term memories? How do we categorize those exactly? Yeah, one of the first uh, way of categorizing memory was like this, short-term memory, long-term memory. But it turns out that we we need to also deep dive into different categories of memory, different functions of memory. It's not just about short-term and long-term. It's about the different subtypes of memory. We have visual memory, acoustic memory. We have emotional memory. We have episodic memory. And also there are something regarding our semantic memory, the repertoire of our knowledge, right? So uh, these are the different subcategories of memory. And if I come up to... I come up with a complaint about my memory function. It might be the general short-term memory or long-term memory, 
or the problem with each or every of the subcategories of memory function. Can I ask you about the role of sleep in memory form and, I guess, retention as well? We've spoken about sleep on the show before, Mm. and this seems to be a really important part of how our brain starts to make sense of what's happened during the day and and storing those experiences. Absolutely. And sleep has been shown to be very central to the memory function. And we have different stages, different uh, functions of a sleep uh, period. We have uh, light sleep and we have deep sleep. It, and we have REM, or rapid eye movement sleep, whereby we, we dream. And uh, very solid scientific evidence has corroborated the fact that specific types of memory are being consolidated, being formed during sleep. For instance, our emotional memory is being formed and consolidated and reshaped during the REM sleep while we dream. And also the motor function, the motor memory or other types of memory is being uh, consolidated and being reworked during the deepest sleep. So sleep is absolutely relevant to how we uh, perform during the waking hours in terms of our memory performance. So that's why I wanted to ask you about baby brain, which Mm -hmm. is a bit of a... A bit of a throwaway term that, you know, you're pregnant, you've just had a baby. Oh, you know, and I, I felt like I definitely experienced it. And what I couldn't work out is because there's so much conflicting information out there. You know, does your brain shrink when you're pregnant? Are, are you unable to grasp certain information or retain certain information because you're simply exhausted mm-hmm. um, as a result of pregnancy and those mm-hmm. early stages of the babyhood? Mm-hmm. What do we know about what the, what the science says? You know, different trimesters, the three trimesters are during the pregnancy period, we have specific sleep-related problems, let's say. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and also we have fluctuations in the hormonal balance. And there is a physiological challenge in the body. Something absolutely new and novel is happening in the, in the, in the bodily system. And that has uh, something to bring in some uh, physiological and psychobehavioral stress. And we know that uh, the emotional dysregulation and bodily stresses will close off the gateway to our attention. So emotion is a gateway to attention. Mm-hmm. And attention is a gateway to memory. So when the attention is not there, memory formation will be negatively affected. And, me- and the rever- reverberation, re- reconsolidation of memory give, give rise to uh, learning. Right. So many of the people in the second or in the third, second or third trimester, I mean, pregnant women in the second or third trimester of pregnancy, they complain about having issues with their sleep, with their restlessness during the sleep. Also, in the during the day, they have some uh, uh, emotional breakdown. They have issues with that. And based on this, we can expect some predicaments in their Uh, uh, cognitive memory function. Now, full disclosure, I used to pride myself, doctor, on having an excellent memory like freaky i'd meet someone and 10 years later be like oh my goodness you know how's your cousin who lived under and they'd be like i didn't remember meeting you how do you remember my name my cousin's name you know had kids it all went down the toilet and now in total honesty because of the show and because of kids and i meet a lot of people Mm -hmm. every single day Mm -hmm. a lot and now i've become what I worry is this rude person who sometimes can't always recall someone's face or name and I have mm-hmm. to look for clues or rope in a friend and be like, this is so-and-so, this is why you introduce yourself so I can get that person's name. Can you please help me out Exactly. Here? So you're going to test my memory, my brain now. We can do that very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah, okay. All right. I'm going to give for four words. Uh, they're very easy. So just your task for us to repeat those four words, four words after me and may, maybe later in the discussion we're, uh, we're going to recall those four words. 
Very easy, simple. Guys, before, you can play along at home or in your the car. The four words are apple, coin, tree, table. Easy. Apple, coin, tree, table. Fabulous. So would you take seven from 100? If we subtract seven yeah. from 100 equals? 93. Okay. And, and, one, and minus seven again? <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> so now, out of six, you got it. And minus seven again? 79. Very nice. And minus seven again? 72. And the last one, minus seven? 65. Fabulous. You this is it. my nightmare doing maths live on radio, yeah. by the way. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for that. Yeah, you did it really good. I'm going to time you for 20 seconds. And you're going to tell whatever you can recall from the items that you can buy from in a supermarket. So imagine yourself, you're getting into the supermarket. Okay. Tell me as many as items that you can recall and you can tell us. Okay? okay. So the more you tell, the better. Okay. 20 seconds on the clock. Go ahead. Mango, pineapple, strawberries, cherries, raspberries, grapes, leeks, spring onions, peppers, uh, kale, lettuce, cheese, cheese bread, baguettes, uh, sandwiches, crisps, noodles, sauces, lamb chops, pepperoni, milk, cheese, vegan cheese, uh, soda drinks, oh, fantastic. fresh water. You, you absolutely slay. Very I go nice. I spinnies a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This <laughs> I is, was this walking is, through the aisles. This is, this is very normative and thank you for... <laughs> For, for taking part in that. And would you recall those four words that you repeated after me? Um, apple, coin, tree, table. Congratulations. So you got uh, normative function. Primarily, <laughs> we can tell in terms of your verbal memory, in terms of your uh, calculation and reasoning and your verbal fluency. So this is the very, very rapid fire way of checking one's memory. And also we go for the visual memory as well. If someone has got some hiccups, a breakdown, in terms of uh, formulating visual attention, visual memory, then there are other things. But when we're gonna deep dive into evaluation of the memory, there are standardized, established paper and pen or computer-based cognitive platforms where we, where we uh, very precisely evaluate the dynamics of the cognitive and memory function. And if something is outside the normative values and normal expected limits, then we go for uh, even more comprehensive assessments and then we come up with a solution for that. Can you imagine if on national radio you were like, um, Helen, I'm going to give you my card. <laughs> that was not a good result. I will see you tomorrow morning at 9am. Let me know, guys, how you got on on that test, 4001. And maybe we'll test you again on those four words in about half an hour's time. Joining us in studio, Dr. Mohammed Nami from Brain Hub Polyclinic. So let's talk about brain-friendly habits. What are some of the things we should do, not do, increase, decrease for our brain health, especially with memory in mind, doctor? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that many of our clients or referrals, those who are coming to our doors asking us about the, the ways to predict and prevent age-related memory loss is that how we can stand a better healthy brain and have a better brain fitness. Uh, the, the fundamental point to address is that we need to live a brain-friendly lifestyle. So the brain-friendly habit includes uh, following the, uh, as much as possible good physical activity and also following a good diet habit like a balanced diet. Make sure about the integrity and also uh, hygiene of our sleep mm -hmm. habits and also refrain from using any tobacco products and also cut down alcohol use as much as possible. And last but not least, we got to be really adhering to the better mood management and, and mood control and stuff and uh, staying away from the anxiety by, by doing meditation and mindfulness-based cognitive practices. Uh, these are the ABCs that people got to follow. But the other thing is to get the brain challenged, activated. 
let it stay active. So there is one saying in neuroscience, and what we say is that if you want to have more brain, you need two challenges. So the more you use it, the more you will get it to use. Use it right? or lose it. Exactly. Okay, so, so such as what? So I'm, I'm just wondering if there are any kind of, you know, games or reading or things that you do on a daily basis to help keep you sharp, doctor. So there are some solutions to uh, challenge the brain and to uh, let the brain stay active and vibrant and agile. But the fact of the matter is that if we are facing with dementia, we're facing with something as uh, moderate to severe uh, cognitive or memory impairment, there is no a uh, single magic bullet as a game or application mm-hmm. or or this and that there is no uh, uh like like magic wand for as a medication that you're going to help the people get rid of the uh, uh memory issue uh, we definitely first need to uh target the the grassroots which is the lifestyle habit mm-hmm. and predict and prevent any loss in the memory function as we age and then uh only afterwards if there is some medical medicinal or non-medicinal solutions, we need to consult an expert for that. Dr. Mohammed with us in the studio. If you've got any questions, 4001. You're also welcome to give us a call like Barira does on 0487155500. How can we help this afternoon? Hi, Helen. Hi, doctor. How are you? Hi. How can we uh, help? Well, I'll give you a starter. Uh, I don't remember the doctor's name. I heard it on the radio twice and I did recall it. Secondly, I did that uh, test he was doing with you. I, he lost me on the math. And then at uh, the grocery uh, list, I was just repeating yours, and then I stopped. <laughs> I better give the doctor a call. <laughs> we are here for you today. <laughs> we are here for you. So for anyone else that, you know, I've got Berea on the phone today, who might have found that challenging, you know, in terms of that raising some red flags, what are some of the questions that you would be asking a client and people can ask themselves today, doctor, to try and get to the bottom? So if you guys want to catch up, that's good with me. Yeah, have yeah, a little on a, yeah, on yeah, a chat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So typically what we ask is that uh, we, we want you to help us understand better if you have been suffering from any kind of medical uh, problems like uh, diabetes or hypertension or you have been a case of hypothyroidism, problem with the thyroid function. Apart from that, have you been taking uh, any uh, recreational substances, this and that? How is your sleep? How is your physical activity? And based on uh, all the evaluations, we might be going for the clinical examination, and then maybe brain mapping is needed. Sometimes the computer testing is needed for evaluation of the precise functions of the memory. And not only that, but the function of the nervous system outside the brain what we call it autonomic nervous system. And that has a lot to do with the emotion regulation mm-hmm. because what we discussed about earlier was that emotion is a gateway to attention memory. So when emotion is not there, memory cannot formulate. Uh, Berea, can I ask you, are you worried about your memory? Has it been good in the past and it's got worse lately or has this been an ongoing issue? Well, it was uh, not crazy bad, but in the last, uh, say, three years, four years, it's been terrible that people will not trust me with any information <laughs> or I'd have to write the instructions down, have reminders and uh, like I'd never forget a date of birth or I'd never forget a face and like I, I can never uh, now remember names to people in my children's class. Mm-hmm. I don't remember her, my daughter's friends' names. I don't remember uh, their parents or I meet people many times but I don't approach them again if I because I don't know where I know them from Bira, can I ask and you a there really, really thing. can I ask you a very personal question and I'm sorry to ask this on the radio how old no, no. are you 
Oh, I'm 41. 41, same as me. Okay, Doctor, you had a question as well. Uh, Yeah, one of the things that we can uh, uh, tap into is the significance and and, uh, the complexity of the memory issue. Is that a mild memory problem? Is that a profound memory problem? Or the person feels that, well, he's doing really fine. He wants to do even better, or she wants to do even better. I think that's a good point. There's two Some people are perfectionist in yeah. terms of the memory function, but we need to make sure if we are really facing some uh, discernible memory problem, or that is just the over-expectation that the person has from the memory function, right? So that's one thing to also elaborate on. So I'm going to connect you, if you don't mind, Bura, with uh, Dr. Mohammed um, off air, um, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we can point everyone in some directions, some more resources and reading. So thank you for reaching out because I think it's absolutely normalising a lot of fears that a lot of people have about their memory and wondering what can change, you know, what can be improved. As Dr. says, you know, some people just want to become elite and better and, and perform. And some, some people just want to be able to get through the day with confidence that we're going to know who the name of someone we're going to bump into on the school run. So thank you so, so much for getting in touch. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us from Brain Hub Polyclinic in Jumeirah, Dr. Mohamed Nami. He is an assistant professor. He's an expert in cognitive neuropsychology and neuroscience. We've been talking about sleep health. We're talking brain health memory today as well. So I'm going to try and remember what we were just talking about off air, about how, how we're going to squeeze in as much information into the next 10 minutes, Doctor. I think it's a, a good um, starting point, though, is to think about what has changed, what's advanced when it comes to our knowledge and the research that's been done in this area. Anything you think is particularly relevant to people listening today is particularly exciting to you um, as an expert? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, uh, actually, the the field of research and uh, modern neuroscience advancements and uh, memory research has been really evolving over the past 10, 15 years specifically. And we're no exception here at the Canadian University Dubai Department of Social Science. We have the Cognitive Neuroscience Laboratory and we get brilliant faculty and uh, very uh, you know active students in psychology that they pursue research on a wide range of uh, memory functions. And we're running such research work in conjunction with uh, the Davos Alzheimer's uh, Collaborative in Switzerland and also Brain Hub in, in Dubai. Uh, it turns out that we are tapping into aspects of uh, the reasons behind the memory impairment as we age or some kind of uh, uh, root cause problems when it comes to the emotional problems that they are driving memory impairments. We call it cognitive affective problems. Uh, we, under- we, we, we try to understand deeply more about the genetic predisposition towards dementia and Alzheimer's mm-hmm. problem, how sleep problems or sleep predicaments are going to give rise to uh, memory lapses and issues with cognitive agility and aptitude, and also how specific diet or being exposed to uh, um, some sort of you know uh, external stimuli is going to be helpful or detrimental to memory function. So these are the line of research that we're doing and we're really looking forward to much more advancement, very close future. It's, an, it's really fascinating to think about what happens behind the scenes that you know mm-hmm. might not filter down to us for, for quite some time, but it, it must be giving an awful lot of hope to um, people with dementia and, of course, their families mm-hmm. too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such, a, such a cruel disease and um, we are going to touch on that. I've, I want to help out people that are listening right here, right now, if you don't mind, Dr. Mohammed, We've had a number of messages on the text line saying, what exercise can we do every day to enhance memory? Uh, that's a very important question. We got different lines of exercises and much of them are dealing with uh, the way that we challenge our brain. 
It might be uh, for the attention, maintenance of attention or concentration, if you will. Also, we have the working memory tasks. Working memory is like the RAM or RAM of the computer. is the set or chunk of information that you have on your fi- at your fingertips. Uh, when you practice working memory function, this means that you have a readily grasp on the information you retain uh, and you can think on your feet. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that we definitely got to be looking into board games or something that they get the people think about different uh, levels of cognitive performance, a higher order cognitive tasks like reasoning and planning and decision making. Strategy, you got it. And uh, decision making and problem solving. So these are the things that you're really good for uh, enhancement of the memory function and uh, maintenance of memory as we age. The other thing is that we, we got to be uh, having an eye on our exercises such as controlled breathing, also yoga and meditation, relaxation, mindfulness. These are the things that when we uh, follow them, they have been documented and they have been shown to be uh, uh, helpful in terms of uh, uh, fostering the memory function in the long run. Um, just to come back to something you said there, which was about ch- continuing to challenge ourselves. So I do two word games every morning. I kind of don't feel myself until I've done them. It's become like a weird quirk. Um, and I wondered if maybe I should switch it up. You know, should I do, you know, chuck in some Sudoku or maths or something? Mm-hmm. Because is, is my, you know, do our brains get used to being challenged in the same way over a prolonged period of time? Uh, we need to change the line, you know, uh, time by time. There are some applications that they are learning blind. This means that as many times as you do it, you are not going to learn the rule of the game because that's very randomly presented. So each time it is assessing your working memory and your sustained attention. Uh, those games and those uh, applications that they are already there available in the field are referred to as serious games. Uh, yeah, and people are uh, are reporting that when they are using this at least twenty minutes a day, this is helpful for for their uh, the maintenance and the healthy uh, uh, function in their memory performance. Uh, this is what uh, we definitely refer to as um, cognitive, uh, you know, exercises okay. and cognitive challenges. Um, no name on this message, and you can get in touch with an anonymous question. That's no problem at all. It's saying, is it true that being very busy can cause memory loss? I maybe wanted to expand on that and, you know, asking how stress perhaps, it perhaps mm-hmm. impacts our memory or even dementia risk, doctor. Being busy is good because we do a lot of things and we're getting a better use of our brain function. But being overtly busy and drastically, you know, uh, busy, it, it probably be, would be equivalent to being stressed out with the job-related stressors. If that is the case, then the overt stress or overt anxiety is going to be detrimental in the long run in terms of our uh, brain-related performance. You mentioned before about paying attention mm-hmm. being really important for memory Retention, And mm-hmm. I guess if you are very busy, I think an awful lot of people are feeling very scattered and our attention span is, mm-hmm. is shorter and, and split. So that must, must have an impact. It's yeah. an interesting time. It's yeah. a really interesting time. Um, Dean's saying, are any supplements useful? We talked earlier about good brain habits. So good mm-hmm. sleep hygiene, mm-hmm. of course, diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, what about supplementation? As long as a diet is balanced and we take pretty much good amount of uh, nutrients and uh, diet elements so we need them, uh, including the vitamins and, and uh, the nutrients that are good for the brain, then we probably wouldn't need to take supplements. Supplements are not going to be super, are not going to be helping with us, with our super brain, let's say. So they are not going to make our brain 
even better if we don't lack them. But if a person lacks taking those uh, vitamins or minerals or stuff, but they definitely can benefit from uh, taking those supplements like antioxidant supplements, including vitamin C, vitamin E, they have been uh, they have been shown by, uh, based on the scientific research that they are helping with the pre- prevention of the deteriorative uh, deteriorating function of the of the brain as we age. Okay. But but they are not magic bullets. I okay. mean that we first need to stick to the ABCs. Get those foundations in place. Um, and last question, which is about any advice for brain fog in perimenopause, please. Forty eight. Um, chronically can't remember names, forget stupid things, make obvious mistakes. It's actually starting to scare me. And I think that speaks to aging, but I think it does speak to hormones as well when it comes Mm -hmm. to that perimenopause stage. Um, Any quick tips for no name who's been in touch on 4001? If uh, the problem is like forgetfulness, it's fine. I mean, I forget, you forget, but not all the forgetfulnesses are really red flags. If that is a frequent forgetfulness, which is negatively hampering my quality of life on a daily basis, then something is not right. And I need to get checked first to uh, make sure that I have the structured environment, uh, I maintain my routine and this and that. Something is not out outside the, the, the checked region. If I have issues with my hormonal balance, uh, or for, for the case of menopause for ladies, if they want to ch- if they want to double check that with a gynecologist or endocrinologist to ensure that everything is is taken care of, and also the thyroid problem because uh, that is also one of the culprits of memory impairments uh, in in later age, uh, you know age spans, and we definitely got to be. Uh, Again and again, following the routines and lifestyle habits, which are brain friendly. We were just talking off air about we want to do a special show for kids and brain health and memory. And I think it's really timely. But very quick question for any parents listening today. Is there anything that our children should absolutely not be doing for their brain health? Uh, (laughs) Uh, this is the question that they're asking. Uh, I mean, many of the parents are asking from us. And they're always concerned about, how, we want to have uh, our, our children to be even smarter. How they can be even more, uh, you know, I don't smart care about that. Better. I just yeah. don't want them to go backwards. But, but <laughs> yeah, but the only thing is that they are living a healthy brain first. And to avoid any hazard for, for deteriorating the brain function, specifically the process of neurodevelopment, they should stick to a specific habits like sleep regulation first uh, to limit the screen time for them to uh, to really take care about their diet and the, the integrity of their diet most importantly get involved with them because they don't always uh, they always do not look for attention they look for connection Absolutely. so when we when we connect with them we let them see the world and get in uh, i mean engage in the surrounding then they are going to capture the information to process the information reprocess the information and become good learners and good implementers dr mohammed nami i've only got four things left to say to you apple coin table tree. I got it. it. Let us know. Did you remember those four words from the beginning of the show on 4001? For anyone that's wanting to contact you, is it with your permission? If people send me the word brain, can I share the details of Brain Hub Polyclinic, doctor? Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're there for them and uh, I'll be more than happy of being of any assistance possible. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed our chat and lots of messages on the text line saying thank you as well.
getting you excited for a weekend of sporting and actually musical action now. Sale GP, Mabadla Abu Dhabi Sale Grand Prix, presented by Abu Dhabi Sports Council, is coming to the capital for the very first time after a hugely successful event last month here in Dubai. And joining us to tell us more about what's in store and about her journey to being Olympic gold medalist to getting an MBE is Pippa Kenton-Page. How are you, Pippa? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thanks for joining us. I know how busy you guys are getting ready for the weekend and we are going to be talking about Sail GP, but I mean, I don't think I've ever spoken to an Olympic gold medalist before, especially when we think about sailing. Tell us a little bit about when you first got on the water and when it was like, actually, this could be not just a hobby, but a sport or even a life for me. Yeah, it's a bit of a bonkers thing, actually. Like, I just learned to sail. My my family were into sailing. I actually was into horse riding. I kind of got dragged along eventually. And then I just was quite naturally good at racing. And I just kind of fell in love with the racing and started racing repetitively and ended up in international racing. And then I had the chance to join the Olympic development team, which is obviously a no-brainer. And then, yeah, one thing led to another. And then I got an Olympic gold medal and I got to you know, sit with it in my bed. It's a bit of a bonkers thing to do, but wow, yeah, I'm very lucky. And also, you know, now I can reflect on it and see what the sport has brought to my life, like sailing such an incredible sport and the freedom it gives you at such a young age mm-hmm. um, and the chance to race and travel and meet new people. It's, yeah, it's pretty awesome. You very work lucky. with um, with kids and coaching, you know, at Dubai Offshore Sailing Club and, you know, in the community as well. What do you think kids get out of sailing? And I think I think I, I want to say this in a way of being as inclusive as possible, because I think a lot of people think that, you know, it's a very other thing to do, that it's, you know, that's not necessarily that accessible to, to many families, even though we live on the beach here. So would you mind, I guess, kind of selling it to us a little bit in terms of sailing for all, Pepper? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it's a bit, it seems like it's not accessible, doesn't it? But I always kind of find that funny. We all take our kids to gymnastics and dancing and all these different things. But sailing's no different. In fact, it's so, so welcoming and such a great environment for the kids to be outside. And it's very unique in the way that they get, you know, they get to sail, they get to learn, obviously, they don't get pushed to sea on their own. But once they've learned, they can sail around in their boat on their own and have complete control. It's not, you don't really get that in any other sport, do you? Mm-hmm. And to be off the iPad in nature, outdoors, it's it's just an awesome sport. And we're so lucky in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, you know, the conditions are amazing. It's safe, it's warm, it's it's not it's not a better place to learn. I learned in the England in England it's not quite the same, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a few days in, in the Lake District just absolutely freezing. And as you say, you know, going in the sea here is no hardship. It's not like you're in a you know, a quarry or the North Sea. And um, what age can they start from, Pippa, when we think about kids in particular? Um, from six in Dubai, which is awesome. I started around eight. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a really amazing, you know, freedom and great sport to do that's an all-day sport. The days never pass quicker than sailing, I don't think. You kind of lose track of time. And it's just a great a great sport and great for kids to be outside and learning new things, isn't it? A big part of Sail GP, um, another part of the diversity programme, is the Women's Pathway programme. This is the UAE hosting the first ever all-female crew sail. What about getting women into the sport? Is that something you've seen more interest in in the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the Women's Pathway is amazing and I think that's something that we struggled with as women. We can go through to Olympic sailing and there's equal opportunities and it's one of the few sports you can compete with and against the boys. I spent my whole youth sailing racing against the boys and at Olympic level you either there's mixed teams so 
and then there's female or male. But then after that, there was nothing for professional sailing for women. Um, it's obviously a bit frustrating for all the women that have gone that far. So Stadupi's done an amazing job and uniquely brought this women's pathway to help bridge that gap and create professional opportunities for the women as well, which is obviously a no-brainer. But until this point, no one's actually done it. Wow. And what about um, what so about women? Really exciting, yeah. Sorry, Pippa. What about women listening today who are like, well, why should the kids have all the fun? <laughs> yeah. Um, well. What, yeah. Totally, what, what kind totally. of you know fitness levels required? Um, time commitment. You know, is there a way of getting a taster session I guess of getting on the water as a as a complete beginner yeah I mean you can just go down to either Dubai Offshore Sailing Club or Mina Rashid where the P&O have an academy and you can just you can just go sailing basically they have a women's um level one which is like you know where you start and you get taught but you don't need to know anything turning up you just get taught step by step and yeah I think it's just a great sport for everybody that's a great thing about sailing as well which I appreciate more now than obviously when I was younger that you can't do it forever and even now I sort of feel like I'm falling back in love with the sport because there's so many different dynamics there's racing just cruising going for fun with your kids just being around being around the water and just having a great time so what can we what can we expect how many days where are we heading there's I guess the essential information to start with Pepper. yeah so um in the week preceding the event which is this weekend there's um lots of inspired activities that's the most amazing thing about this lgp actually is the inspired program they're engaging they've got over 1500 young people coming from all schools in the area coming to try sailing they do a stem session they get to meet the athletes tour the boats understand the sport and really like be on the ground and be involved so that's really cool and then obviously at the weekend there's the racing where there's going to be a big family event village and everyone can come along and get involved so we this is the thing it's not just about knowing who the athletes are it's not necessarily about knowing the techniques that you know they're employing on you know on the hydrofoils it's i think at this time of year we love getting out and about we love being outside the chance to experience a sport that you might not have had, had access to is just fantastic so there's going to be learning careers you know racing programs as you said and then some family activities too and we should say we have got global music superstars, take that, have been announced for a special Saturday race day performance too. Um, how does it work with ticketing as well, Pepper? I wanted to ask? Yeah, so you can go to the SailGP website, forward slash www.sailgp.com forward slash Abu Dhabi and get your tickets. You can get the, there's the grandstand ticket, which is just the seating. And then there's a premier ticket where you can have a food and drink and you're but you're all pretty close to the racing. That's the very unique thing about this racing. It's right up close and personal. So you feel really part of the action. And the action is very high adrenaline. The boats are super fast. They're kind of like flying, foiling F50 boats. And the stadium racing is right by the shore. So it's super exciting. Anyone that saw the Dubai event will have seen the really exciting final. It's going to be an awesome weekend. So in terms, when you say flying, what kind of, what kind of speeds are we talking about? Um, up to 100 kilometres an hour they've <gasps> they've had. So obviously that depends on the wind speed, but yeah, it's pretty fast. It's super cool. It's a global championship, 10 national teams taking part. And it's, it's, it's not like, I don't, I don't want to kind of annoy any, any race fans on the wheels, but it's not this kind of, you know, long protracted. It is short, intense races. And as you said, you're right on the water. And um, Pippa, thank you so much for coming in and obviously sharing a little bit about you and, and your journey 
to being a gold medalist, but also sharing enthusiasm for what's going to be happening this weekend. I've had a message going, um, website, please. Um, it, the best thing to do, as I said, is to go to sailgp.com forward slash Abu Dhabi. Get your tickets there and take that there on Saturday. Thank you for taking time away from your busy time and no doubt probably very hefty Excel spreadsheet. Um, Pippa, thank you and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Um, no doubt see you down at the Sailing Club very soon. And for anyone that wants information on um, Dosk, uh, you can just send us the word sail. Thank you, Pippa. Speak soon, I hope, and take care of yourself. Pippa Kenton Page, MBE, speaking to us ahead of Sail GP this weekend. I am hiding my teeth behind the microphone because we've got an expert dentist in the studio, Dr. Saham Assad, general dentist at Aries Dental and Satic Clinic. Um, thank you for tearing yourself away from the chair. How are you, doctor? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. You, Your teeth are spectacular, as they <laughs> should you, be. Thank you. Thank you. Why did you want to work in this field? I always find it quite an interesting profession that you're going to be so up close and personal with people's <laughs> mouths. Actually, it was a dream of my mom. She wanted me to be a dentist, so you can say I'm living her dream. And please say you enjoy it as well. No, no, of course, of course. I've been in this field for uh, more than 10 years, so it's been a pleasure. And what is keeping you busy? What What are people coming into? Is it, you know, is it the aesthetic side? Is, that, is it pain, trauma? What's... What's hot right now in Dubai dentistry? I think a lot is mostly, mostly based towards uh, aesthetics. But uh, I get patients from every side. I mean, they have uh, issues with their functions, with their aesthetics. It goes hand in hand. No day is the same. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about aligned teeth. Now, as I said, yours are perfect. And it's not necessarily just about how your teeth look, but I guess how they work in terms of the appointment, uh, importance of aligned teeth. Would you mind lifting the lid for us on that, Dr? So, Helen, that is a very um, interesting topic. And uh, what I would want to enlighten the crowd is that a lot of people ignore their uh, malalignment that, and they've probably lived with it for their entire life. So what I want to highlight is they need to understand the importance behind it. Firstly, the biggest uh, advantage is aesthetics. It looks great. If you have straight teeth, they look better. It boosts your confidence. You're able to smile, you know, have that uh, confidence whatsoever. Secondly, it promotes better oral health. If your teeth are aligned, it's easier for you to clean, maintain them. So that is, uh, it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirdly, there is, uh, it, if, you're, if you're suffering with anything related to your jaw, let's say a lot of people complain of jaw pains, TMJ issues. So once you have aligned teeth, this automatically eliminates these TMJ disorders and any problems with the jaw. So when we're talking about someone's bite being off, is that what we're talking about? Exactly. They're not able to properly close their teeth. Exactly. So people suffer with a lot of cross bites, which they do not understand, of course. But uh, when they come... So that's what I feel. They should visit their dentist every six months just to see if everything's going fine. So that's how they would realize that, okay, I have a problem in my bite. Let me just get corrected. It's a bit like finances, though, isn't it? We kind of go, I just don't want to think about that in case I find out something bad. You get a lot of people who I maybe know, haven't I been know. to the dentist in quite a long I time. I know, but uh, trust me, those that money spent is going a long way. Yeah. 
prevention better than cure. Exactly. Better in terms of pain. Exactly. Pain in the mouth and pain at the checkout as well. I think it's the worst pain ever. Yeah. Like that's what I've heard from my patients. They're like, <laughs> it's one of the worst things that I can ever experience. So I don't think anyone wants to go through that. With people who do have a fear of the dentist, is that something you've come up against in your practice? People who of have got course, a real of phobia. Of course, I mean, forget about patients. My own family members, they're like, oh my God, no, it's, it's going to it's going to hurt it's going to be painful but now dentistry has developed so much we use uh, nitrous oxide sedation which is one of the most common practices that laughing gas exactly mm. so it's not just for children it's even for adults uh, we've had uh, more uh, advanced uh, anesthesia techniques which is uh, known as the STA so it's like a computerized anesthesia so that eliminates the fear and uh, I mean, stuff like this, dentistry has advanced a lot. So I think we can overcome the fear. I had four wisdom teeth taken out at the same time <laughs> last year. And I had, oh. I had, I had a Xanax. And my what, heart is with it, you. Do you know what? It wasn't that bad. I literally popped a Xanax and watched a documentary oh about, 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 uh, about orangutans. It was absolutely <laughs> fine. And no swelling. I think a lot of, you know, we got ourselves worked up a lot about. Yes, about I think it's just a lot of built up fear. Definitely. So I think you need to visit your dentist. Like I would always support the idea of go to your dentist, get that fear off your head mm. and uh, see what it is all about. Because ultimately, if we do ignore our oral health, the knock-on effects can be really, really significant. Of course. See, your mouth is the point of entry for everything in your body. So it has to be taken well care of. Whether it is, um, I mean, when you leave your oral health or you neglect your oral health, the first thing is you get tooth decays, cavities. Then that leads to, you know, more and more and more problems plus then uh, you have uh, gum diseases following up and all these things will lead up to eventually tooth loss and then you're going into higher costs of treatment so if you were to neglect a small problem which could have been solved with a small amount of money has now become a very big big issue yeah exactly Um, Mona's saying when it comes to aligning how do you decide what you need good question okay so let's say someone has been living with you know I'm going to say wonky teeth um, for a long time and maybe do self, feel self-conscious, you know, don't like smiling fo- in photos. Might have led to, as you said earlier, problems with brushing and flossing. How do you as a dentist decide what is the treatment or technique that would suit that mouth the best? See, obviously, they need to come for a consultation. We need to come make the patient sit in the chair, talk to him, what are, what his actual concerns are. And then maybe from there we can do some diagnostic x-rays, Uh, see what are the problems with bites. And then obviously overall we can decide whether he needs a couple of extractions before he goes into an orthodontic treatment or maybe we have to look into something else. Maybe it needs a jaw correction. Jaw correction? What's a jaw correction? That sounds So uh, what you do is that uh, there are certain uh, TMJ surgeries which could be the cases of, uh, you know, having jaw pains or having any issues with your uh, teeth alignment in general. So maybe, but those are only very extensive cases. You can find them. I mean, there are quite a lot of cases, but uh, this is a very, you can say, an advanced way of go to go with it. Dr. Soham Asad with us today from Aries Dental and Aesthetics Clinic. If you've got any questions for her, get in touch. I knew you were coming in today and just by complete chance, I was listening to a podcast last night and heard that fizzy water wrecks our teeth doctor is nothing sacred why how 
<laughs> Tell me it's not true. So what happens with fizzy water? I mean, fizzy water in general is going to demineralize your enamel. So your enamel is the most important tissue. It's a tissue which does not grow back in your body, sadly. So once you destroy that, there's no getting back from there. So what happens is the demineralization eventually weakens the enamel and causes loss of that, Great. which leads to tooth sensitivities. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, no more fizzy <laughs> drinks. No more fizzy drinks at all. <laughs> well, I mean, people do. I mean, I'm not going to tell people to completely stop it. Oh, thank goodness. But uh, every time you take a fizzy drink, always remember to brush your teeth. A lot of people, you know, swearing by this lemon water in the morning, especially at this time of year, thinking about, you know, detoxing my system and, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Lemon water, also a tricky one. Uh, yeah, it is. But as I said, if you take good care of your teeth, if you're maintaining good oral hygiene, if you're brushing quite well and everything. So I think that shouldn't be an issue. 4001 if you've got any questions for the dentist in the studio. Um, a message here, no name, you can be anonymous, saying help. Any tried and trusted remedy for bad breath? Due to this, I can't kiss my better half. Please advise. <laughs> How do you... I mean, I'm sure this is something you must experience probably daily in clinic. Um, bad breath. What, I guess root cause is probably the most important aspect. So uh, bad breath could be because of a lot of things. The first thing is you're not maintaining proper oral hygiene. You need to brush properly. You need to make sure you're flossing properly because what happens is when you're brushing, you sometimes tend to ignore the, the gaps in between your teeth. So that is only the food or whatever the plaque buildup which is there is only removed by floss by flossing. So you need to make sure you're doing that. And even after doing these things, if you feel that it's not solving my bad breath issues, then you need to go consult a doctor for your GIT. And probably it's something to do with your stomach, which is causing that bad breath. Oh, dear. <laughs> but you know what? Um, I think I think it can be... You know, when we have, have had dermatologists on the show before, we, we kind of it's very easy to talk about, oh, you know, it's just skin. But it's not. When you feel confident in your smile, you feel confident, you know, walking into a room and presenting yourself definitely, to the world. Definitely, definitely. I feel uh, in today's world, uh, your smile is everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just uh, warms up the person who's in front of you. So I feel to have the best smile is... One of the most important things. It's, a, it's the international language. Exactly. Um, no, no, this one's saying, what about water picks and flosses? So you mentioned about flossing properly there. So what about gadgets for that? Is that something that you've had some success with or do you like it old school? Uh, no, the gadgets are good. I mean, water picking also is not a bad uh, way of flossing, but uh, it can sometimes be a little bit traumatizing to your gums if you're not doing it the right way. So make sure you're doing it properly. Uh, we do not want to uh, cause any sort of trauma to our uh, soft tissues in the mouth. So you need to be very sure that the devices that you're using, you're properly following their instructions before using them. You mentioned before about about gum disease. What about receding gums, which is a you know really big part is, of getting older? Yes, that is a part of uh, gum health. Now, what happens? Uh, receding gums is something that we see in almost everyone. That happens is because of using the wrong toothbrush. Go on. So there are apparently three types of brushes. So we have a hard brush, we have a medium brush and a soft brush. So you should always use a soft brush to brush your teeth. When using hard or medium, what happens is that when you're vigorously brushing your teeth, your gums tend to recede. So they keep shrinking, 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 which leads to even more problems. And then we're not necessarily talking paediatrics today. We've had a message here saying, um, my seven-year-old hates the toothpaste for five to 12-year-olds. Can she still keep using the zero to five? 
No, because what happens is there is the, the amount of fluoride content in every toothpaste is different and it's different for different age categories. So try to get try to find I mean explore the market try to see something which they will like the flavor of and taste test time please taste uh, <laughs> please taste it and please change it okay all right sorry sorry about that it's going to be shaking it up on the shopping list um doctor thank you so much for your time um we are still in january and if anyone has any resolutions for the year ahead about their dental health and hygiene what do you think we should all be doing more of or less of in 2024 for the good of our mouths Well, uh, for starters, you need to make sure that your oral health is in best shape because trust me, as I said, uh, your mouth is the point of entry to your body. So treat it like a temple, brush twice daily, floss and uh, the toothpaste using is, I mean, you can use any toothpaste as long as it has a good amount of fluoride. Use a soft toothbrush. And you're good to go. Okay, I'm going to squeeze in one quick question because it's just come in on the text line saying, um, I've got a buildup of tartar in my lower mouth. How to remove it and if um, and does it have any implications? So tartar in the lower lower mouth. Yes, so that is uh, that needs to be removed only by coming to a dentist. You need to visit your dentist every six months because you tend to develop this tartar every, uh, every few months. So it's better to come to the dentist and you need to get this removed. Why? Because this is one of the most potential causes of having receding gums. Okay, there you go. Quick question, quick answer. Uh, Dr. Sam, thank you so, so much. So where can we find you in real life and online <laughs> as well, doctor? So uh, I have my own clinic in uh, the Walk JBR. It's known as uh, Aries Dental Anesthetic Clinic. You can even find us on our social media, Aries Clinic Dubai. Thank and uh, we would love to have you there. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. It is always a busy one. So if you do have any questions for the fantastic Dr. Katrin Yarn joining us from the German Veterinary Clinic in Abu Dhabi, I do say pick up your phone and get in touch. And you can do that in a number of ways. There is the SMS 4001, the ARN Play app. Already photos coming in on the WhatsApp, which is 04871 And that's the same number as the phone line. If you do fancy your chat, a bit of an on-air consultation, the phone lines are open. Dr. Katrin Yarn, I haven't spoken to you in 2024, so Happy New Year. How are you? Very well. Happy New Year to you too. Did you get a break over Christmas and New Year? Because, you know, the, these pets, they, they don't break for Christmas, do they? A mini one, a mini one. Yeah, it was pretty busy. They they don't break, you're right. No. Um, they still get sick. Yeah. So what is keeping you busy in January? What are you noticing coming into clinic, whether it's on the behavioural side or indeed the medical side? We've had quite a few um, pets have that have come in after getting a scare from fireworks. Oh, um around Christmas and the New Year. So dealing with that, that's been quite a bit. Um, and I have recently launched a podcast, so that's kept Mark me pretty oh, on the behaviour side. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you're with us today because there was a couple of headlines that caught my eye over the last few weeks and I thought you would be a good person to ask. One is about owning pets, apparently helping stave off dementia for people over the age of 50 living on their own. And we were talking memory and brain fog earlier with Dr. Mohammed, um, but I wanted to get your take on this in particular. Um, it apparently can really help stave off cognitive decline for people who are living on their own. And this was a survey of over 8,000 participants. Um, apparently pet ownership is associated with slower rates of decline in verbal memory, verbal fluency. Um, and I wondered what your take on this um, would be in terms of the animal side you know what are they offering us that can help enrich our lives and even improve our cognitive function as we get older Catherine? 
Oh, so much, I think. Um, I think that social connection that they um, help us to have, I think, you know, taking the dog for a walk and being able to have social connections and speak to people, I think that's such an important thing. And we know that social connection is one of the the, the most important things as we get older. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much they can of, offer us. Physical health, I mean, it's been around, known for years and years that um, pet ownership improves cardiovascular health. Um, I think, yeah, that there's just so much that they can offer us. Companionship, um, you know, having to remember things, having to, you know, a live purpose. to a schedule. Yeah, yeah a purpose, exactly. Yeah, now, Lots. I mentioned to Georgia Tolly of the agenda earlier that you were on today and she was like, oh, can she help with cat behaviour? And I was like, I mean, <laughs> she's not an official cat psychologist, but Dr. Catron is incredibly experienced when it comes to, you know, a bit of, a bit of pet psychology and training and, and behaviour. So she wants to know why her cat is being unfaithful to her. So Georgia has a, co- a cat called Waffle, OK? Well, you know we love names. So if you are getting in touch on 4001, do tell us what your pet is called. Now, Waffle, they live in a compound, has been, um, yeah, been playing away. Waffle has a girlfriend called Brenda. It's not to do with Brenda. Um, (laughs) Waffle has been going down to a house about five doors down and they have a dog and opting to spend his evenings there and even the whole night. And I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe something's going on there. And she's like, well, my in-laws are in town. I was like, ah, I will include all of this information for Dr. Katrin Yarn. Why might Waffle suddenly be taking his affections elsewhere, Doctor? Oh, such a great question. And cats are so like that, aren't they? Um, they're very much, they live to their own needs, I think. But yeah, any changes in social circumstance at home, um, we see this a lot when people have new new babies, for example, or when, when there is a change in the household, when there are visitors or something else, they will sometimes go to a place where they feel a little bit more comfortable or um, maybe where it's a little bit less noisy in that particular time. Um, and if, you know, Waffles found a good sort of, second home with uh, the dog and Brenda, then it's possible that Waffle might be going down there uh, just to kind of uh, get a little bit of respite maybe. Mm. Um, Yeah, just feel safe and feel comfortable. I'm pretty sure that Waffle will come back home again. Watch this space. We're going to maybe see how we can win back his attentions. Uh, Dr. Katrin Yarm with us today taking my Mm -hmm. questions, but most importantly yours. We are going to be going to the text line next. Uh, Richard been in touch. He has an eight-month-old puppy that hasn't been eating a food. Dubai special, um, giving high-quality treats, but not nearly at the amount that should should be eating per day. Tried every brand, wet and dry. The vet isn't concerned, but any wise words would be appreciated. Uh, we've got an old cat, an 18-year-old cat. Briar's been in touch um, about her, about making life easier. And a rescue kitten that keeps jumping on the counters. How can we put off this behaviour? All of this and more. As I said, we do tend to get a bit of a flurry of last-minute messages um, just before the end of the show. So if there is anything that's on your mind, um, please, please, please um, get in touch. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. Groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. Joining us live on the line from the German Veterinary Clinic in Abu Dhabi, we have got Dr. Katrin Jan. And so many questions for you. We're going to try and get through as many as we can. And as I said, don't leave it until last minute if you do need a bit of advice. Let's start with 
Rich. Rich has a Dubai special called Dolly. Uh, for the last uh, month or so, my eight-month-old puppy hasn't been eating her food. Tried just about every brand, dry and wet. The vet isn't concerned because she's a good, a good weight, exercising regularly, still doing business. I'd have her booked in for another check next month to keep an eye on it. I'm giving her high-quality treats when training, but not nearly the amount she should be eating per day. She's my first pup, so I don't know if this is normal. Any wise words from your vet would be very welcome. Thank you. So let's answer Rich's and Dolly's question. And then I want to know about do dogs get bored of certain foods? <laughs> so, Dr. Catherine, okay. what are some of the questions you'd be asking if Rich and Dolly came into clinic and has anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's never normal when dogs don't eat. Um, I think there's always something that we need to think about. So I'm really happy to hear, you know, that they have another vet uh, checkup booked in next month. I think definitely something to keep an eye on. We want to make sure we're keeping an eye on weight. So I think the medical, we do need to keep a close eye on. But sometimes, in my experience, it's not necessarily what we feed them, but it's how we feed them. So we're trying to move away from feeding, you know, twice a day or three times a day from a bowl, because that um, is not natural to dogs. So dogs are foragers, they're scavengers, um, and they they wouldn't, you know, in, in a natural situation, they wouldn't eat from a bowl. So we're looking much more at um, feeding them from Kongs, puzzle feed, licky mats, snuffle mats, um, scatter feeding in the garden if that's appropriate. Um, and I know from my own dog Lexi, she can be a little bit suspicious of the food bowl. Um, she's a rescue, she's a Dubai special as well. Um, and sometimes, you know, associations have been built to bowls. Um, so sometimes it's not necessarily what we're feeding, it's how we're feeding. So I would start making feeding time a little bit more fun, a little bit more playful and just a lot more natural for our pets. Um, I love that. So the, yeah, that would be my recommendation. However, um, you know, please don't forget about the, the physical medical side of things. We need to make sure we stay on top of making sure that Dolly's healthy. I think you've kind of answered the question that, that I wanted to put to you, which was our dogs just aren't that bothered about food right now either. I mean, they'll eat it. You know, they're hungry. They're spaniels. They, they'll eat it. But they're not they're not that yeah, they're just not that bothered, one of them in yeah. particular. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think maybe we need to make things a little bit more interesting. But saying that, when we add in a bit of, I don't know, bone broth or a little bit of you know, leftover chicken or, you know, we had this dog-friendly peanut butter that we'd put at the bottom of the bowl, then they were more into it. I'm worried that, you know, are we raising some spoiled dogs who want variation at every meal? Do, do dogs get bored of food the way that we do? No, I don't think they do. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we've known for a long time. And I think actually for their physical health, um, especially making sure that they don't have too much chop and change in their diet is really important because it can cause gastrointestinal upset, diarrhea, all sorts of problems. So I, I don't think it's so much about, um, you know, again, what we're feeding. It's about how we're feeding. And we've got a great video, actually, that was um, out yesterday on our Facebook group, the Pet Behaviour Community, where we actually show a little tasting platter how you can use a, a little muffin dish um, and put, you know, a couple of different food types in there um, and actually give our dogs some choice and some agency. But that's, you know, an adjunct to their normal food. Um, that's a bit of a treat, a bit of variation, mental and, and emotional stimulation and enrichment. And that goes along with puzzle feeders, Kongs, licky mats, snuffle mats, all those wonderful things. So, yeah, I think, you know, sticking to a the same diet, I think that's really important 
important from a health point of view and then adding things in to create variation variety a little bit of more interest okay. so i think that's a good place to start that's brilliant thank you so much dr katrin yarn really hope that helps you guys out love you to get your pics on the text line um we've had some some of our regulars sending in photos looks like bailey is checking in gorgeous gorgeous doggy what maybe listening from the car um and dave's been in touch now archie the husky is a regular listener and has an adopted sister called pugsley the pug and she is a beauty you're all in the draw to win that fantastic prize from pro plan um let's turn our attention to cats because amanda and the kids dylan and eleanor have been in touch saying we've just had our two rescue kittens neutered last friday they were very close before but since coming back from the vets they just hiss and growl at each other we have had to separate them we've tried rubbing blankets on them giving them supervised time together but it doesn't seem to be improving we're worried about how long this is going to continue for and will they ever be close like they were before? What can we do to help in this process? Many thanks. Um, great question. Um, thank you so much, guys. What comes to mind, Dr. Katrin? Great, great question. And something I see a lot of, especially here in the UAE. Um, and what's likely happened is that the two cats have gone to the veterinary clinic. Um, they've had their surgery. They've come back smelling very different. And they have perhaps not recognized each other. And that's fractured their relationship a little bit. And cats, unfortunately, are very, very different to most of our domestic species, our other domestic species, in that they're not an obligate social species. So that means they don't need to be sociable with with other cats in order to survive. And it's a big topic, so I'll, I'll stop there. But um, sometimes when that relationship it has been broken a little bit, it can be quite difficult to um, to get them back to where they were because they don't have the ability to reconcile like other species do. Um, and yeah, look, it could take a while. I would say take it super slowly. Do exactly what you're doing, the scent swapping. That's great. Um, perhaps the one or other um, supervised visual contact between the two cats. Um, but these are a lot of cases that turn into my behavior cases. So if you do need additional help, please reach out. Um, and I would just say, take it slowly. Don't put a time frame on it. You know, take it day by day, step by step. And hopefully, because they had a previously, they had a good relationship, they'll be able to find their way back um, together again. But it can take a while. And, and an event like going to the veterinary clinic can definitely do it, for sure. Amanda, if you want to send me a message, give me a thumbs up. I will send you Dr. Katrin's details. She's got some great resources on the website. There's a lot of Zoom consultations as well. So happy to, to help you out, as you said, if you get to the point where you feel like you need an expert to come in and help. Um, staying with cats, a quick question from Briar saying our cat is nearly 18 and slowing down. Um, we've ordered her a little a little ramp so she can get in and out of her bed more easily. What else can I be doing to make her life easier now she's older and any other health or health issues I should be tuned into? She's got hypothyroidism, very early kidney disease, but is under supervision. I want to make sure I'm doing everything right. Oh, Briar, you sound like an amazing cat parent and 18 years old. My gosh. Uh, we've got about a minute, Dr. Katrin Yarn. What comes yep. to mind for elderly cats in particular? What a lovely, lovely question. Um, so mobility. Uh, we know that most elderly cats uh, will suffer from some form of osteoarthritis. So uh, providing things like the ramp that you mentioned, but also litter trays that are easy to access, um, that are perhaps a little bit shallower than normal. Um, you know, lots of steps to favorite resting places 
obviously regular veterinary checkups every six months, I would say, for an older cat, um, looking at diet, looking at dental health, um, lots of mental stimulation because we want to make sure we want to keep cognitive function really good. So same as with people. So even for older cats, puzzle feeders, hunting feeders, things that they have to think about to preserve those little gray cells and make sure that they don't get cognitive decline. So those are in a super quick summary um, things that come to mind, but the mobility piece, pain, uh, you know, making sure they can access their favourite places really comfortably. That would be the most important thing for me. Thank you so, so much for keeping Dr. Can- Dr. Catherine Yarn with us today uh, because we've had so many questions for you and some amazing photos as well. So if you've got anything that's on your mind, we can talk behaviour, we can talk the medical side as well. And I have to say, I've just been sent a photo of uh, Snowball, one and a half real Maine Coon, Maine Coon mix, and she is just looking glorious in the garden. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. Joining us here on Dubai I 103.8, Dr. Katrin Yarn from the German Veterinary Clinic. She is one of the most accomplished and knowledgeable vets when it comes to behaviour. So if anything is stressing you out about what your pet is doing or indeed not doing, this is your chance to get some expert advice. To the text line we go, 4001. You've got the app, you've got the WhatsApp. That's where loads of great photos are coming in as well. And all of your messages put you in to draw to win that pro plan. Three-month supply of pet food. Um, Mina's been in touch saying, Hi both, we've got a five-month-old rescue kitten, Queenie, this week. All okay. But when we eat anything, she runs over and jumps up, jumps up on the dining table, sniffs food as well as kitchen counters. What is the best way to nip this in the bud? I appreciate she's a cat and curious and instinctively likes to jump, but it feels unhygienic and it's really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Can we help out Mina and maybe Queenie? Yeah. So, I mean, yes, all of those things, you know, cats are cats and, and they do do cat things. So one of the best ways I think of kind of accomplishing this is um, being a, a little, one step ahead and a little bit smarter than the cat. So providing the cat with something, again, a hunting feeder, a puzzle feeder, a licky mat, a long lasting treat whilst you or just before you start preparing food in the kitchen. So that's always something really, really um, useful to do. And usually cats choose those times, right, when there's activity in the kitchen and we're up there and we're preparing food for ourselves. That's usually when they come around and when they're curious. So giving them something else, something better to do in that moment um, should help to um, to kind of, yeah, stop her from from doing that in that in that time, I would say. Another thing is you could get somebody to play with her um, during food prep times. So anything to distract, really, and giving her something even more interesting and better to do, which might not be the easiest thing. But what we definitely don't want to do is punish her, push her off, um, shout, uh, scold, anything like that, because that's just going to cause negative emotional state and that we definitely don't want. Okay, thank you, Dr. Katrin. All the best, Mina. Keep us posted. Maybe an update in the next couple of weeks. You know where we are every Wednesday afternoon. Um, Vinny says, help, exclamation mark. Working really hard on training our eight-month-old lab mix, but could doctor give us some advice on training to not pull on the lead? Um, Would welcome advice on different leads and harnesses. Thanks in advance. Yeah, great question and probably one that many people can relate to. So the first thing I always say is we want to get our equipment right. So good question about the leads and harnesses. So we do not want to be using a a neck collar in this instance. We want to be having a body harness. Um, I particularly love the Freedom harnesses that have a front attachment that are very well fitting and very snug fitting. That front attachment just gives you a little bit more control. However, 
we need to understand what's the motivation for pulling on walks. Is it that the environment is just too interesting and there are just too many sniffs and too many things to do? In that case, we could be dealing with a little bit of frustration and that's where the pulling on the lead is coming from. Um, you know, sometimes if we have anxious dogs, they can pull on the lead a lot. And sometimes it can just be a, a down to education. So we need to try and understand what is the underlying emotional state? You know, how do we need to address that? Um, and then our trainer, Ilsa, who works with us, um, has some amazing tips and tricks for, for teaching lead walking. Um, we want to be using positive reinforcement only. So no pulling, no choke chains, choke collars, anything like that. That's just going to make things worse in the long run. And we want to teach our dog that the best place to be is right by our side, that everything else is less interesting than being right there next to us and that takes a little bit of time and we need to address some of the underlying emotional state but can absolutely be done in a very very welfare friendly way thank you all the very best with that Vinny. um it's a great questionnaire i think useful to an awful lot of people listening today um and that's what i want to kind of end with we've only got about three minutes left dr katrin but i've seen in all of my years in Dubai, so many more photos of dogs in need, you know, in need of homes, of need of short term fostering of, you know, people to love them. And, you know, thankfully, we're hearing a lot of very happy stories of families deciding to, to welcome that animal to their home. So I wanted to get your advice on settling in rescue dogs. I know puppies mm-hmm. are going to be a little bit easier, potentially, rather than a dog that might have been in the shelter for months or even years. But would you mind just speaking generally about some, some advice that you'd be giving clients who might be having a rescue for the first time? Absolutely. What a wonderful question. So I think time, patience, kindness, those are the the things that we need. We don't know what that dog has experienced. And unfortunately, a lot of these dogs, and I see a lot of them in the work that I do, have had some kind of traumatic experience in their past. So we really want to approach them with a lot of empathy, a lot of kindness, and give them time. They're adjusting to a new environment. They're adjusting to a new family. They're adjusting to new social relationships. You know, maybe there are other dogs in the home. Maybe there are cats in the home. Maybe there are children in the home, none of which they may have um, or, you know, come to, to, to face um, before. So we need lots and lots of patience. Um, and lots of kindness. Um, There are some great products that we can use to help these dogs. So I love the pheromone products, um, Adaptil. They're widely available in the UAE in lots of different forms, whether that's a plug-in diffuser for your new home or for their new home, should I say, Um, collars or sprays, and we can give you advice on how to use them. We also have some wonderful calming supplements on the market here in the UAE. I particularly like Zilkeen, which is a natural over-the-counter calming supplement. It's not a medication. It's um, not by prescription. So some of those things can really help these dogs to settle in because it just reduces their level of stress and anxiety from a neurobiochemical point of view um, and will help with that adjustment period. But really, I mean, yeah, time, take things slowly. Don't try and introduce them to everything all at once. Small bits of exposure. Make sure they've got a safe and comfortable place at home. And when they are in their safe place, you know, give them the space to be there. Don't invade that space. You know, don't have the kids running over and, um, you know, petting them. I know it's going to be exciting having a new dog, but mm-hmm. we just want to make sure we give them space, time. Um, and yeah, we just give them some choices and some agency in that first period of time and just take things slowly. And I'm sure you'll get a wonderful, wonderful companion in return. Oh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And I, what, what I would add to that is, Sometimes you need to bring in the experts. Sometimes you do need some help, especially if this has been the first time you've had a pet, which we've had a couple of questions along those lines this afternoon. So, Dr. Katrin Yarn, in terms of 
pointing people in the direction of you and the resources you offer in person and online, what's the best way of contacting you? So you can find me at the German Veterinary Clinic in Abu Dhabi and we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page and obviously a website. For my behaviour work, I have a separate website called Trinity Vet Behaviour. I also have a podcast, which is the Pet Behaviour Chat, which is on Apple, Spotify, all the other places. We have a wonderful Facebook group called the Pet Behaviour Community um, and also Instagram. We're on Instagram, Trinity Vet uh, Behaviour. So you can find us literally everywhere. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Well, thank Reach you. We're here to help. And back with us soon, I hope. Wishing you a wonderful 2024 to you and the team. And I include your, your furry friends in that. Dr. Katrin Yarn speaking to us in the German Veterinary Clinic. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.